Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey everyone, it's Jen, and I have decided this is going to be the summer of uniform dressing. I'm going to have a few pieces on heavy rotation, and I'm telling you right now, they're all going to be linen, and they're all going to be from Quince. I don't know why I'm going so hard on linen right now, but it just feels right. And Quince specializes in timeless pieces made of premium fabric, and the best part is that all the Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. I am personally very into the 100% European linen pants. They're cropped and easy. There's even a cute pinstriped version. And when I wear them, I look like I just stepped off a yacht. Do I have a yacht? No. Do I know what yachters wear? No, but that's the vibe. The linen pants come in sizes extra small to 3X and they're less than $40. Okay, like 10 cents less, they're $39.90. But the quality is excellent and they wash really well. How does Quince do it? They cut out the cost of the middleman and pass the savings on to us. Plus, Quince works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash fat mascara for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's quince.com, Q-U-I-N-C-E, quince.com slash fat mascara to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash fat mascara. This episode of Fat Mascara is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, we all carry around different stressors, big and small. Therapy is a safe space to get those things off your chest. Plus, it can help you develop coping skills that make your life easier. I will give you an example. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, you've probably heard me say it to Jess or to a guest, reframe. Well, I learned that technique from a therapist. Here's an example. Now that I'm a freelance writer and podcaster, I get lonely working from home and I feel like I'm never gonna get to collaborate on projects again. And that's the truth. Reframe, I get to choose which projects I work on. So I'm in control of what I work on. And if I wanna collaborate more with others, I don't have to ask anyone's permission. I can just do it. See what I did there? That's reframing. If you've been thinking about starting therapy or are looking for someone to help you process things and give you coping skills, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash mascara today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash mascara. Again, betterhelp.com slash mascara. Welcome, everybody, to Fat Mascara, the beauty podcast with the best guests on a Friday. I'm Jen. I'm Jess. What's going on? It's interview day, isn't it? it? I feel like every Friday, it's like, what am I going to learn this week? Who am I going to learn? Because you weren't weren't in this one, but like usually usually I know, but even when I'm doing the interview, it's just every time a new person comes on the show, I get so excited for whatever I can learn from them and just spending time with a new person. 
And you had some time with a very special makeup artist, right? So, yeah. So I've got to tell you, I've been trying to get Dick Page on the show for a year. So, you know, I feel like it just hasn't really worked out. Timing, projects, et cetera. But I saw Dick at an event a couple of months ago or a month ago now. And he was just casually leaning against the wall, like having a snack or a drink or something. And I was like, I'm just going to, just going to go up to him. And then I said, Dick, he's like, hello. I was like, fat mascara. Can we make it happen? And he was like, sure. I was like, okay. And was, MBD. I was like, who do you want me to go through? I was like, I know last time we went to talk to this, the whole trajectory was like, all right, just, you know, call me. It's like so easy. Bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. Is that, is that like how Bella Hadid, when she needs her makeup done, she's just like, Dick, it, hey, it's me, Bella. It was great. But that's Dick in a nutshell. He is, okay, he is so, if you don't know who Dick is, that's not, that's fine. I'm, I'm not going to be snobberoo about it. But like Dick Page is it. You know what I mean? He's it. He is super, super makeup legend. Started out in the 80s working with like major photographers, David Sims, Karen Day, stylist like Melanie Ward. Like he traveled like with all of these incredible photographers and stylists and, and hairstylists like, like Guido Paolo. Like part of that scene came up with all the fashion designers who are like super major today. But he doesn't have an ego. And that's what I felt like from that experience and what I feel like I've felt about him through interviewing him backstage and yada yada like throughout my career and I think you can really feel that in the chat that we have on the show so I'd love to hear your feedback from the chat he's also worked with tons of brands um, the biggest one being Shiseido and also Inui which is a very cool super cult Japanese brand super makeup heads will know and Yeah, I just, it was such a special chat and we hit upon a lot of interesting topics that I think we've talked about throughout the the show here. Let's listen in. Hope you enjoy it. Where, where am I speaking to you in? You look like you're in a little attic or something. Now this is upstairs in the house in Long Island. It's a very old house, 1738. Oh, nice. It's like a little shed. A little shed. Like storage to one side, or the clothes are all hanging up there. So it's, it's, we're we're we've just sold a house and uh, we're moving. It's supposedly moving, but in the meantime, we're mostly staying out here because it's nice and there's a long garden for the dogs and stuff. I know you have you have one dog or two dogs. We have two dogs. Okay, so are you mostly out of the city now? Um, well, we moved to Brooklyn in 2019 and have been going back and forth. But we put the house on the market in Brooklyn mm-hmm. to sell to potentially move back to the city, and so. We've mostly been on Long Island. I've been taking the train in and out for work and, you know, just, it's all, you know, like everything's up in the air at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So tell me, I have to know, how did you find your way into beauty? Let's start with a little bit of an origin story. Origin <laughs> story. My Marvel villain story. <laughs> you probably had some version of this. It was, uh, it, I started, like most people who DIY'd it, I started doing my friend's makeup and hair and we made each other's clothes, post-punk, new romantic thing, end of the 70s, early 80s in England, and got into it. I liked the magazines at the time. I liked all the bands at the time. That was my big inspiration was the way people looked in bands. And um, What kind of bands? I was I had all my, all my punk girl. I, like, I was very into Susie, and obviously Susie the Banshees, and Polystyrene, and the Slits, and all those kind of... And, and you know, Blondie, naturally, Debbie Harry, the American import, and 
you know, all those versions of the way people looked, and also the girls at the clubs and the at the gigs. Just the, I like I like the way that people made themselves, created themselves with, with the hair and the clothes and everything. And so I just got into the way that looked. It never occurred to me that was a real job, apart until I started looking at magazines and saw, oh, it's, it says that someone did the makeup <laughs> or someone did the hair, or whatever. And found that out. Then I decided to have a go, and I. I did a bunch of stuff for little magazines in Bristol, my hometown, the west of England, southwest of England. But I moved to London in 87 and started testing and meeting a bunch of people and just doing photo tests like everyone does or did back then. Mm-hmm. And I met, uh, I met Jürgen Teller in 1987. I met Melanie Ward, stylist Melanie, around the same time. Started working with her, a bunch of different stuff. And then worked with Nigel Schaffron. And then I started working with Melanie with Corinne Day and with um, David Sims. And these are and big photographers for... They're big photographers now, but they weren't yeah. then. So, yeah, they're, mm-hmm. they're, so they're big photographers. And, then, and Corin passed away, sadly, a while ago. But, you know, David is, you know, very, very well established in the industry. He's one of the leading lights in the industry. But at the time, we were all sort of starting together. So that's kind of key, I think, is that you tend to fall in with the, the tribe that you're either thinking along the same lines as or you have the same frames of reference as and you're talking about the same kind of ideas. Or you can develop the ideas together. So working with those people, then David started getting a lot of attention. Corin got some attention. Started doing things, coming to New York to do things like Barney's and then Calvin with David. And then in 93, Polly Hamilton, who was a stylist at Calvin Klein at the time, tapped me and Guido, I think also with Fabian Barron, who was design, doing, you know, creative director, art director, polymath, Fabian, who was doing everything with Calvin at the time. And they got me and Guido in to do the show. And that was my first proper fashion show ever. And I was back and forth, and I moved to New York properly 94, 95. It's all woolly, because I was going back and forth. I had a sublet and this and that and other stuff. And here I am still, having moved into New York with a one-month sublet, still here. Wow. And did you ever have dreams of being into, into fashion? Like, did this all kind of, it all kind of seems like it just kind of happened. But, you know, I look in my email, like I look at my, just before we got online, I was going to look for my questions for you, and it was like, Masterclass, <laughs> meet mm. your masterclass instructor, Chris Jenner. And it's like everything now is so focused on, you know, finding a way and getting ahead. Yeah. And there's a path. And, you know, when I talk to somebody like you and you're mentioning all of these other incredible artists, like, you know, we've had Guido on. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> when I hear stories like that, it almost feels like it doesn't happen like that so much anymore or where our, tr- our brains are not operating in the same way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I think the problem is now, every, I mean, God help me, I'm not going to make all these, <laughs> you can't call people hippies anymore. But the way, what, I have a problem with very, not what used to be called new agey speak, the way people talk about achieving your goals, your dreams, actualization, manifesting something, this and that. No, 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 no. This is not how things happen. Maybe they happen. If you bang away hard enough and you, you know, chase every opportunity down and you, you know, push for it. God knows how people manage nowadays the way that we are crowded out with so much in the world. I mean, social media, of course, didn't exist when I started. You had to look for, you had to hunt for magazines. They weren't always sold where I lived. I think, I think we've been fed a bit of a lie nowadays. The idea that, you know, if you want something hard enough, you have these dreams, you can do anything, you can achieve anything. Not true, sorry. I don't think it is true. Some people do very well. Some people do achieve, supposedly, their goals and dreams, and some people don't. I can think of... Back when I started, plenty of people were in the same boat as me, as talented or doing what I did or diversions of what I did and working with various people and doing well and then not doing so well or, and then disappearing or doing, you know, 
much more high-profile careers than me, but lots of things work in different ways. But I don't think then it wasn't necessarily a lack of ambition, but just it was just a way of being. I didn't have an alternative way of thinking about it. I decided mm-hmm. to go and do it. And I was having fun, and it seemed like a cool, fun thing to do. That's the best way to get into stuff. You think that's a fun thing I can do? I can do that. I'll have a go. Yeah, it's. I think now it's it's much more um, templated, or I, and it, it's kind of templated, and it's a little bit new agey too. The kind of like if you can see it, you can be it. If you can right. follow this person, yeah, it just it, there's so much innocence in how you describe your trajectory, mm-hmm. and I don't really see a lot of that today. I think that might have said before about the social media thing largely is because people have to do all their growing up extremely publicly. You don't have a chance to evolve and develop an idea of anything. You don't wait for film to come back, for example. This is a technical thing to think about how people always used to shoot on film. Wait for the film to come back, edit it, take a look at it. If you're doing something on spec, hopefully some will take it, somebody likes it. Same thing with creating a makeup idea. If you wanted to reference something, think about a film or a book or a another editorial or something you saw in a magazine, you had to go and physically find it. Mm-hmm. Go to the library or find a book somewhere. Look at these things. Think about these ideas. You didn't have everything at your fingertips. So, of course, now it's incredibly competitive, as, as far as I can tell. Or maybe it's just because I'm aware of the competition or see how people are in the fray of the competition because they have to be. You have to be pushing all the time. You have to constantly, I mean, God help me, I hate the word content. People want content content all the time you know, you've got to be showing the, the new thing the now thing the next thing something new on your feed or on your tiktok or on whatever hell people probably not even tiktok anymore that's how <laughs> disconnected i am to most of it probably isn't even tiktok that's probably something else but that degree of self-promotion and visibility and pushing yourself forward into it didn't exist then because it didn't have to if it had, had to it would have been there so yeah you mentioned um, like the references, like, you know, you used to have to be able to go to a, if let's say, you know, one of your peers had this amazing book or this amazing reference or this amazing album. Yeah. And they pulled that reference and it'd be like, oh my God, like blew your mind. Well, now everyone has access to every single reference because we all have yes. the universe in our pocket. Do you feel like that has leveled the playing field in any way or not necessarily? I mean, obviously not everyone is as good as everyone else. It really depends on the, on the final result, on the, on the work, where you take the reference, what you go do with it. If you're slavish about it, all that happens is you sadly remind people of how great the original work was. <laughs> you know, so I see, I see people, because you can read it, you can see it. I, I read it all the time. I'm seeing some, some work. I see an editorial that people are falling over themselves about, and I can think, as you know, as a dinosaur, I can think, well, I, yeah, okay, that's William Klein. I know what that, where that picture comes from. I know what the original picture is. Mm-hmm. Or I can say that was Nigel Schaffron. I can see, or that was a painting, or that was so-and-so. That's Avedon, but it's not just Avedon. It's Avedon referencing a painting, or it's Stephen Mizell referencing Avedon. Mm-hmm. There's kind of like, it's like the pecking order and the, the way yeah. that the, the great big fishes devour all the little fish all the way down. So, of course, like I said, the, the ultimate danger is you will just make people think about how great the original work was. Because you can never, you can't say, for example, Luna Donnelly, like a beautiful, like amazing, amazing pictures of her from the 60s. You can't do them. You can't do that makeup again. You can't do that hair again. Or you can do it. You can do what the hell you want. I don't care. I'm not a social worker. But it's never going to be as beautiful or as interesting. And maybe that's part of the difficulty now. We crowd ourselves out with images. We absorb them and digest them so quickly. But we don't get to live with them. We don't get to live with them and... and take time to appreciate the moment of each picture, particularly because, sadly, 
we're not looking at print as much as we were. We see everything on a little phone, a little tiny screen. It's horrible, yeah. It's reductive in so many ways. We've reduced, we've reduced records to CDs to nothing. So why a record cover anymore? I still like to buy vinyl. I still like to buy some, people, some artists that I like still issue vinyl. But mostly it's, it's all vinyl. You, the dream of having a record, like putting the record on a player and having the big picture to look at or looking at a big picture in a magazine, something in print, something at a gallery, something on the wall, a beautiful photography book. We don't, we have the great benefit, as you said before, is to have all these references available across the board. But the great disadvantage is they become less special to us. They become less precious. I see that like when I see people thumbing through, flipping through, and like if I'm on the bus or the train and I see people flipping through Instagram so quickly and I'm like, oh my God, if I saw, if the people who created those images knew how quickly people were flashing through their photographs or their kids' pictures or, you know, these precious things. And it's just like, (laughs) it's kind of heartbreaking. You know what I mean? But we're all complicit because we all do it. Yeah, no, I do it too. It's just like... People do it to our work. We do other people's work. This is part of the problem, actually, that I'm sort of going around this idea of the the way the work is nowadays. A big problem for me, at least, is... um, I want to talk to you about this, but I I was trying to think about the way to phrase it that makes some kind of sense. It might not make any kind of sense at all. It's fine. um, This idea of of smallness. And I'm interested in this idea of smallness, which I'm sort of trying to think of as a parallel to the idea of the slow food movement. That we've kind of we've done away with subtlety. We've destroyed any notion of subtlety with the way that we absorb media and take in information. Because the thing that stops people, for the most part, of their scrolling, whatever they're doing, is the eye-catching thing. Breaking the internet. The eye, yeah, well, exactly. The, sadly, <laughs> yeah. the eye-catching thing tends to be the flashiest, showiest, noisiest, most jarring. A shock is the same as a surprise. And... You don't tend to stop or slow down or dwell on a picture that's a beautifully composed, lit picture. No. A, a portrait or a, a figure in a landscape or something that's... A look. You know, you know there's, there, yeah. there's no room for this smallness. And I think there's something about small idea. I talked to someone a little while ago saying one of the most incredible moments of the way I work, or not the way I hope the way anyone works, is the moment of application. There's a moment when a color is being applied to the skin and something moves and you feel the way the texture of the material changes under your hand or how the blending of something works and what it's doing and how it's changing in the light and how the person looks at that moment. In that way, you almost want people to be able to see something in slow motion, not for detail of application or the perfect winged liner or the perfect contour, because mm-hmm. who cares? You're only going to be as good as the last, last good contour because they're all the same. But just for the moment of absorption of the information yeah. of an idea, you know? Yeah. So that's... So, and smallness doesn't, maybe it's in the right word, but that's sort of what I mean. It's like gestural. Yeah, it's gestural. And it's, and it's, there's a subtlety of a feeling of a shift in color in the way that I know when I'm designing or working with color, when I create color for for a brand or I'm doing stuff for myself, I know why something that's had a tiny tonal shift into the black from the original color I was working with suddenly makes sense to me. And suddenly is the thing I want to see in the way that I would want to see if I was painting or drawing a picture. And I can't tell you why that's right. I understand what you mean, and I think it takes a certain appreciation and it takes a look that is more than point half a second. And yeah, it's the it's it's not it's it's not a big graphic, bold, eye catching, slightly shocking, ridiculous. Ridiculous sounds very um, negative, but you know, it's 
It's the opposite of what plays. And yeah. where does that stuff play? Where does that stuff live? Where does that stuff have a home? And mm-hmm. I don't know. And like, you know, even just to be very transparent, you know, it's like Jen and I, you know, have this podcast and it's like, we're talking about conversation. Our conversation is about subtlety right now. Does this have a home on Instagram and where we're going to, you know, where it doesn't have like a sassy mm-hmm. pull quote, you know, it's right. a conversation and it's like, where does that audience live? So we are always talking about content, quote unquote, and mm-hmm. where does that content live? It's such an interesting conversation. There's an audience that wants subtlety because mm-hmm. I'm having this conversation with so many different types of people. And I think media is kind of dumbing it down a little bit. That's my feeling. I think so. And also the tricky part as well, which occurred to me just as we were speaking is, I suppose I have thought about this before, but the idea that subtlety for many people implies, God help us, the word natural, natural beauty with all its millions of connotations. And this idea of invisible beauty or perfection, or she doesn't look like she's wearing makeup or this and that and the other. And these strange, also like they're really bound up in, in personal sexual economic politics of the way that people look and how we're supposed to address these various, you know, the, the pommel horses of diversity now, the way that people are now being asked to hold up mirrors to various parts of society. And they'll go along with it as long as there's money to be made. This is mm-hmm. the sad part of it. The same way as years ago when someone was saying, like, suddenly was, I did an interview and someone said, we're seeing, seeing so many amazing Asian models. And I said, yeah, because these giant luxury brands have realized they can make some bank in China in the way they made bank in Japan. It's it's purely mercenary. There's no, there's no higher aesthetic ideal here for most people. Yeah. But if you live in the world, as a person in the world, and you take the subway or you walk down the street or you see people, you look around and say, oh, my God, there's been people of all different shapes and sizes and colors all the time. This whole time. <laughs> Who knew? Because, you know, because that's something that's been, you know, leveled quite rightly at fashion for a long time is the impossibility of the type that we show in print media. The tall, skinny, white woman. We've established this. We get it. We understand it. And now we're doing something else. So are we doing something else? Are we just doing a version of same? Is the stuff that we're pushing available to people in the world, like you can say, we're showing these clothes on lots of different body types. For the most part, these body types are also still tall, very beautiful women. But, you know, they're fatter or less, less skinny than the contemporary model. But then are those things available in the shops? And then, you know, can you buy those things? You see them on the models in the magazines, but can you go, can the, say my sister, for example, who actually doesn't have the money for that, but say if she had, could she go down the street and buy something that fits her, like on a size 20 something frame? Probably not. Yeah. Which is where the great grace of beauty comes in because one size does fit all. That's why I love beauty for that reason. Yeah. It's it's so much more democratic. But it also trips itself up. It trips the democracy part of it. It The democratic ideal of all whatever that way of putting it might be about beauty, trips itself up because I've run into this working with bigger models, a few bigger celebrities. We're still clinging to these strange, God help us, drag-inherited ideas of makeup. So get a great-looking girl of any stripe, fatter, skinnier, larger, smaller, whatever, and you see, for the most part, in their, in their work, in their book, or in their print, whatever it is, they've been contoured. They've had the nose skinnied and the cheekbone drawn and the shading and all this kind of stuff. And I say, well, if we're going to be, if we're really truly embracing the idea of a bigger person, this bigger person has bigger bigger face here, maybe it doesn't so... Can you hear me? Yeah. So I think it's strange. We've somehow, we've taken, we're working with a, a, 
a wider range of models, so bigger girls, which is great and amazing girls we work with. And but somehow the beauty ideas, ideals, or things that have been prevalent, like I said, drag inherited beauty ideals for the most part, the contour, the lifting, the taping, the all the stuff. Wow. Is also being applied to these these faces. And I think well, is, like the be... face isn't even good enough. The face right. has to be wow. Yeah, but so so somehow, but then the body is still, so you still have these great boobs and the backside and the legs and the like okay, for example, an incredible beauty like Ashley Graham, by anyone's standards, like Ashley Graham yeah. looks like Ava Gardner to me. Yeah. Or totally or Devon, you know, these kind of these great beauties. And I've seen some people have done work with them and it's, you know, like well, so why are we why are we overshading over contour and stuff? Are we not in the position where we can also say this is a big person. We don't have to try and make their nose smaller. We don't have to try and do suddenly make the face smaller. We do this and that and the other to them. It doesn't seem to make any sense to me. And I'm not sure that if I'm overstepping my way of thinking about things there, or it's, it's a, I think it's a it's legitimate question. It's yeah. a legitimate question. Why are we applying skinny person beauty ideas to big people? I understand. It's just a question. Yeah, yeah. I'll probably get stoned in the street for that. <laughs> Something I always, you know, noticed about you since I've, you know, started working in beauty is you never seem to really enjoy, and correct me if I'm wrong, kind of the 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 star, kind of like the starification and the kind of hoopla of the makeup artist as celebrity and like, you know, the backstage pandemonium. And, you know, it was never, I've, I've never seen, you know, you've worked with Shiseido, you work with, this line never came to the U.S., but it was, uh, how do you pronounce it? Inui? Is Inui, which was Shiseido. Inui. Yeah, it was a domestic Inui, language. Shiseido. Shiseido. Yeah. You know, so you certainly work with brands, but, you know, it was never like Dick Page is unveiling his brand at, you know, Top of the Rock, you know? No. It was, you really shied away from that. How come? I don't know. I'm quite happy to talk about stuff and do my while we're here. I, I'd like, I like to be more or less invisible as a six foot two, 57 year old man can be on the subway. <laughs> Because you know. you're a you're a big deal. I mean, you've done you know hundreds of covers, and you work with every top model. You're as big as it gets, but you really don't. Doesn't feel like it's still like you're you're in the scene, but you're not like a scenester. No, no, no. Because for the most part, it's not interesting. It's nice to go. It's nice to go nice places and have dinner and and do stuff. I'm not really interested in being the the front and and center of things. I like to do the work. I like the. I mean, I love to do the work. That's why I'm, I'm still still doing it. Like I said before, for that moment, that is the is the most beautiful part of it is to be able to do that, and then the recording of it is is not secondary because it's how people see it, but it's it's a, it's part of the feeling. It's like working towards creating the picture of the thing. So I'm quite happy to be. I mean, not like Martin Margiela invisible, who people barely even know what he looks like, the designer. Mm-hmm. But like to to you know step back a little bit and not I don't need to be in the front of things. And I, and as far as the pandemonium goes. I'd rather sit in a bath of acid and hammer nails into my head <laughs> because the whole, the, I mean, anyone, people aren't seeing this, but like the cringe feeling, the just like the shudder of, well, you've seen, you've seen the scrum backstage. You've seen how they're doing all the interviews, all the stuff in the, in the runway shows. And it's just, it's a horrible way to work. You don't it's seem stamp- comfortable. I know. I mean, I, I'm comfortable while I can do the thing, but the stampede of it is, is really unpleasant. And, and just the, the crazy rush and push and pull and like the, the jam. I don't, I mean, I don't like a crowd in the first place, but to be doing something, which is quite a delicate, intimate thing to be touching somebody's face. Yeah. And then being, you know, mown down by a 
horde of cameras or phone-waving enthusiasts is a bit terrifying. Summer is fast approaching, which means it's shapewear season. Just kidding. It's really wedding season. But I just got an invitation to a wedding in Philadelphia, and guess what I'll be wearing? Honey love. I'm not sure about the rest of the outfit or the dress, but the shapewear is going to be honey love. Here's why. Honey Love has revolutionized compression technology so you no longer have to feel like you're suffocating when you're wearing shapewear. Plus, they have lingerie-inspired design details that you'll want to show off, and all their fabrics are breathable to keep you nice and cool, which is perfect for hot days. Let me tell you a story. I remember being at a wedding, this was a few years ago, pre-Honey Love, and I wore a jumpsuit, and I wasn't sure if the bathroom door locked well, but I had to take off the entire jumpsuit and then roll down the shapewear to pee, and I was like holding onto the back of the door at the same time, completely naked in the bathroom, and it took so long, and I caused this whole backup of the bathroom line, and after that, I was like, never again. Until Honey Love came along. Honey Love's superpower shorts have a 100% cotton gusset so you don't have to wear underwear underneath. And there's a convenient opening in the underwear area so you don't have to take off the whole thing to go to the bathroom. It's so easy. Honey Love products make you look good and feel good. Whether it's for a wedding, event, an everyday boost of confidence, Honey Love is the perfect plus one. Treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com mascara. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off. That's honeylove.com slash mascara. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Honeylove.com slash mascara for 20% off. The summer vibes are just getting started, so shape your life with Honey Love. Hey everyone, it's Jen, and I have decided this is going to be the summer of uniform dressing. I'm going to have a few pieces on heavy rotation, and I'm telling you right now, they're all going to be linen, and they're all going to be from Quince. I don't know why I'm going so hard on linen right now, but it just feels right. And Quince specializes in timeless pieces made of premium fabric, and the best part is that all the Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. I am personally very into the 100% European linen pants. They're cropped and easy. There's even a cute pinstriped version. And when I wear them, I look like I just stepped off a yacht. Do I have a yacht? No. Do I know what yachters wear? No, but that's the vibe. The linen pants come in sizes extra small to 3X, and they're less than $40. Okay, like 10 cents less. They're $39.90. But the quality is excellent, and they wash really well. How does Quince do it? They cut out the cost of the middleman and pass the savings on to us. Plus, Quince works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash fat mascara for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's quince.com, Q-U-I-N-C-E, quince.com slash fat mascara to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash fat mascara. Okay, everyone, I am one of those people who, when it comes to wellness, sorry, but it's got to fit into the pockets of my day. Five minutes here, seven minutes there, when I'm like in the kitchen and I'm microwaving something long, it's got to be convenient. And that is why Aloe Moves 
works for me. My mindset has changed. The app makes it easy for me to keep my wellness routine on track because they have everything in one place and bite-sized little bits. Yoga, Pilates, fitness classes, mindfulness, self-care tips, healthy recipes, so much more. From beginner to advanced, Aloe Moves has the flow or class that's going to fit into your schedule. Their classes range from five minutes to an hour, depending on what you're feeling that day. You know what feeling I'm feeling most days? I'm feeling 10 minutes. I've been doing that's good. Joanna Thompson's. Right? That's about it. Yeah. That's good. 10 minutes. Joanna Thompson does these yoga lotties in 10. One day will be abs. One day will be arms. Today, Jess, is booty day. And we're just (laughs) going to get it done all in 10 minutes. If you're trying to get a good sweat, then you've got to try their award-winning workouts like the sweat-inducing yoga flows or the reformer Pilates workouts without weights. You can also find stress relief with meditations, affirmations, face yoga, gua sha, learn to do dry brushing. How many times have we talked about dry brushing on this podcast? Aloe Moves will teach you how to do it. Unlock your personal wellness routine with Aloe Moves. Go to alomoves.com now and use the code MASCARA20 for an exclusive 30-day free trial and enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's alomoves.com, code MASCARA20. alomoves.com, code MASCARA20. So when did that... We never ever actually talked about this. We've had we had a lot of different, you know, we have a lot of your peers on the show, but I don't think we've ever actually asked this pointed of a pointed of a question. When did that change? Like, was there a moment of change? Because you've been doing, you know, backstage beauty for you know so long, but surely there was a moment of like where it went from X amount of people backstage to XXX amount of people backstage. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was it was a slow drip slow sort of erosion of okay. civility. So when I first did my big shows in, in the early 90s, so I was doing Calvin first, and I started doing Helmut Lang, and it was snowballed. I did a bunch of different shows in different markets. And there were only a handful of photographers, and they were largely the photographers backstage. The few that were backstage were also part of the people who were out front taking pictures of the show itself. But there were way more out the front, because that's what people came for. People came, the, the cult of the backstage thing with the model and the detail and the personality cult of models hadn't really quite taken hold yet, apart from, you know, those Linda, Cindy, Christine, Amy, and Kate later, mm-hmm. some of those girls. But mostly it was the interest was in what went down the runway. Mm-hmm. And then it became backstage. It shifted backstage a little bit. And it became about the idea of the girl and what she said and thought about, about the clothes. And that's when it started to get kind of difficult because they weren't really talking to us for the most part. When I, for backstage, there was Elsa Clench who passed away recently. Elsa Clench was pretty much the only one doing, you know, on-camera interviews with beauty people backstage with makeup and hair. And then Tim Blanks did a little bit before, I think Tim Blanks was working with a Canadian company there. So there are a few people doing interviews backstage with makeup and hair, but not many, not enough to, like, put you off your your stroke. And then the cult of the model. And then the accessibility of different kinds of cameras. So people weren't just walking around with these gigantic video cameras on their shoulders, smashing you in the head. And then I suppose that we really fell over the falls, we went over the falls in the barrel or without a barrel when the phones mm-hmm. happened because we had lots of people with like little kind of like cassette type taping things and then digital taping. And as soon as they, you could have a scrum, you had a scrum. And then when brands started sponsoring backstage runway shows as well, they needed the coverage. So they sent more people backstage. So it was a, it was a, you know, like I said, it was yeah. a slow drip, and then suddenly it felt like, okay, it's a circus when celebrities are coming backstage. The world and his dog were backstage. 
I'm sorry. Horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. I mean, then the great thing, like, late, a little bit later, you had someone who I was working with uh, on the Celine shows with Phoebe. She didn't have press backstage. It was wonderful. Yeah. It was wonderful. There was no press backstage, and then they let the press in to do first looks, photographs of the models before they went out to do the show. And that was incredible. It was great. Has it gotten better recently? Because I feel like now, I mean, I'm not doing it right now with my current role, but like, I feel like even the last year or two, I was at Bazaar, like, you know, post pandemic, we're not post the pandemic, but since the pandemic, I was not going too much. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that's gotten better? Well, no, we have, we have a whole different set of problems now, of course, with, with the pandemic, with the, with the testing and the masks and all sorts of stuff. That's the, you know, that, another great big subject I'm sure you've talked about a lot, the distance and the, the enforced yeah. barrier between people. So that limited the numbers of people backstage, but it made everything else it was so difficult. It almost Ugh. didn't matter because it was Nightmare. so unpleasant, so unpleasant to work through these layers of all these barriers. Of where, because what we do is, is to address the nature of the face. And so to have that intimacy kind of curtailed, it's very difficult. I don't do as many runway shows as I used to. I haven't traveled for runway for a long time. And mm-hmm. um, so the few I do, luckily, have been, they've been kind of fun. There have been some smaller scale. Michael Kors still does an extravaganza, but I've known Michael for so long. That's, that has a nice kind of flow to it. And there is a certain amount of backstage information and stuff going on in there. But I guess I'm not feeling quite as burdened by it because I don't do as much of it. Yeah. What are you enjoying the most about your job right now? What I'm enjoying most about my job right now is, is the constant. It's pretty much the idea, the moment of doing the thing that I do and doing it as well as I can to help make the work beautiful. So I've worked with, I've started working with a few different photographers. I've, you know, you always, if you're lucky enough to try to work with new people as well as the people you established your career with and, and just playing. And it's great to, you know, we don't have as much time. Also, the part of the problem is uh, you may well be aware of because budgets have been tanked. But so mm-hmm. you sometimes being forced to a shoot that might ordinarily have given you two days with the attendant grace of time to create looks has been compressed into one day very often. But it's nice to be able to play and to work with people and work in with people. That's my, still my favorite thing, to work with the, the stylist and the photographer and the hair person and the model and, and create. So those, that is a constant. That's probably been pretty much since I started, apart from when I very first started, which was the hysteria. So brilliant. I mean, I kind of love the madness of this, is that when you first begin, you're sweating with all your ideas. <laughs> but unfortunately, everyone else is sweating with their ideas too. So you get a bunch of sweaty people show up for work, freaking out. They haven't slept. You want to do this. The hairdresser wants to do this. The size wants to do this. It's a train wreck. You know, the girl <laughs> looks like, you know, it looks like, I know, let's make her look like a burst couch that's been set on fire and rolled down a hill. That's the, <laughs> n- the net result. Because, because no one's holding back. It's hysterical. No one's holding back. Everyone wants to do their thing and make their mark and do the number. And so the poor child, there's a model in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So nowadays, there's a bit more, you know, if you're lucky enough to work with people, you know, that, who are sympathetic to the creation of pictures, there's a nice dance to it that you, I step forward, the hairdresser steps back, vice versa. The stylist does something that changes the nature of the piece. The photographer changes the light very slightly. The model comes out in a different shoe. There's something, little subtle shifts of things that are hard to, they're hard to express why they make the change of the moment. Just, or going to set and just, well, I did the Mark Jacobs thing a couple of seasons season ago, where we did a lot of the work creating on set. The look was done and then we changed it a little bit. Like you do, you go in and out and you wipe something off or add something and you build the idea of a picture. 
And that's an incredible luxury to be able to work like that. And also a luxury to be able to work outside of the parameters of a very strict storyboard or something that comes from an advertising client. Because more often than not, they know which direction the model's facing and the earring will be doing this and she should look like this and this is the, you know, everything has been preordained. And you're sort of at that point a hired hand, hopefully with the mind to what you can do and do well for a job. So freedom inside, this is a rambling answer, freedom inside the sphere of creating a look and the moments of application and change and building is something that's still my favorite part of the job. And that's been a constant. That, that hasn't really changed. That's wonderful. Is there a face that you love to paint again and again? There's a lot of faces. We know what's interesting is if you, again, if you're lucky enough to work with someone who you've been working with for a while, so you see, I've seen a lot of the girls, the girls now, women who have had their, having more of their lives when you met them when they were quite young, having more of their lives and having families and kids or different types of aspects to their career, or they've moved somewhere else in the world and things have changed for them and to see how they've changed and who they've become. And your relationship your friendship, which even if you only see yourself, see them like once a year or once every couple of years, you have a connection. So someone like, I love, um, I don't see her very often, working with Margot Jabella. I work with Margot with a bunch of different people with yoga and a lot. I work with her a few times with, with Richard Avedon. Avedon really fell for her hard. I was obsessed with her, which is great to see. So someone like Margot someone like Kate, of course, you know, the ubiquitous Kate who is to blame for all of our ills as makeup and hair people because the thing you do not want to hear when you get to a job is, you know, kind of like Kate Moss. And then you just like, you know, throw your hands up because there's nothing can be done because there's only one Kate. But, you know, it's great because I've known Kate since she was 15. And it's always hilarious. And you have fun. And it's great to see her with her kid and her daughter and her life and the way things have changed. But so those become, you know, emotional, personal connections with people. So it's not so much ever really strictly about the face. It's all the attendant stuff. And, of course, there are some faces you just can't, you know, you can't believe I mean, Christy is one of the ones who is, of course, eternally beautiful because Christy just has this nature of how she is about her. I heard someone describe Christy's beauty as generous one time, and I asked them about it, and they said, well, you know, she's, she's entirely present as a person when, she's, when, when you're with her and when she's with other people. And, it's, and it is, it's, there's, there's, no, there's no air of otherness about the idea of a beauty, I guess because she's smart enough and canny enough to have understood herself from quite a young age. Hmm. And, you know, as my mother would say, not got all swell-headed about it. I don't it's even really think of her as a model that much. Like, she was a model, but I don't think of her as a model anymore, even though she, I know she does model. Who? Sorry, Christy. Christy. Yeah, she comes and does bits and pieces. I see her from time to time, and she does what she feels like doing, and if she, I guess she decides to make a couple of bucks here and there, and she'll yeah. do it. And but she's because, great, and she's because of all the other it. work she's done, I mean, you know? Yeah. Right, yeah. so she's had, yeah, I mean, she's done incredible work with the charity and all the stuff that she's been doing, I guess that's part of it as well, because she knows, I mean, she probably has realized at one point, like, well, this bit that used to make me completely berserk is the least of my worries. This is something that I can do and have agency of and control of versus something I have to do, which really requires blood, sweat and tears on behalf of other people. So then she yeah. thinks, oh, it's like a day off. It's really cool. Yeah. Free food. <laughs> that's what we all do every now and then like I'm working with Jimmy Paul for doing hair for something we get there and we like you know if the day is really if you're really trapped in a beast and you're having a shit of day and you look around and you go like the food is free <laughs> no, they have free soda in a cooler it could be worse that's really funny <laughs> you know, it could always be worse that's really good so I feel like you you know have such a vast 
like encyclopedia of makeup because you know you work work with we I've seen what you've used. I'm curious about your kit. Are there mm-hmm. any odd bits of makeup that you've kept because you know you cannot find something good enough to replace it? Oh, that's a good question. I just feel like you have an amazing kit. I have a very small kit compared to oh, most okay, people. Okay. I, I'm, I'm the one with one bag. I'm the one that takes a subway to work. I love that. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. Occasionally a backpack. If I want to walk to work, I'm able to take a backpack. I don't have a massive kit. I get certain, I get fixations on certain things. And most, for the most part, they're not from, from big brands. Occasionally someone will do something in a big brand and I'll be obsessed with it to the point where you have to stockpile it. Hilariously, I have been lately buying things that I made for Shiseido on eBay because you know it's quite a few designers ago that I was working with Shiseido. I finished working with them early yeah. in 2017, so there's a few things I've run out of, and I've like, and of course they don't really exist anymore. And sometimes um, Hiroko Zeki, who worked with me in Japan, has been able to get things for me. But otherwise, I'm on eBay looking for things that I, I made. I just so got what one are yesterday. these like old things? Like, talk, let's talk about some like oldies but goodies. There's a shimmering cream eyeshadow I did for Shiseido that I love. That's um. It's, a, it's not quite a cream to powder, it kind of is. And I did some odd colors. There's a color which is called Sable, which is like a slightly greenish gold bronze beige color, which is amazing on blonde eyebrows and to line the eyes, sort of invisibly kind of tone. Beautiful in blonde eyebrows because, you know, blonde eyebrow colors are better now than they used to be. They used to, they used to skew quite red or gray or kind of ashy mm. and dull. So kind of golden greenish bronze, almost like the kind of the roots of the color of a overpaid Hampton's housewife. Or <laughs> no need to be paid Hampton's house off, I don't know. And there's a, there's a color called shoyu, which is based on the Japanese soy sauce. And shoyu is a very, very dark brown with a bit of trace of pearl in it. And caviar, which has some different color pearls. And they're just like nice, smudgy, smoothy little things you can paint on. And also, because I mix stuff together all the time, I like cream colors. I, like to, I don't care a ton of powder products. I like cream products. And every brand has something magical that you kind of glom onto. And then you, then you can join the legions who are weeping over the discontinued, you know, the the discontinued morning area where we can all go and sit inside and con- console each other that we'll never <laughs> find anything like it again. And I th- it's sort of brilliant, like beauty forums would be like, do you have a dupe for Chanel Buen Express and it was discontinued in 1986? <laughs> and I think, you know what? She's still mourning that lipstick that was discontinued in 1986. She has a, she has a reason to live. She has purpose. <laughs> Her life has value because she's still looking for that lipstick. Her life has value. Well, one of my sisters is still mourning a Miss Selfridge eyeshadow that I think was discontinued in 1983. <laughs> and she says, and every now and then she finds something like it, and she goes, nah. Like, see, <laughs> see, Mrs. Frodo, you still have to, you know, your quest continues. <laughs> and I had, you know, I had those little things, but look, luckily, I mean, the stuff I get from theatrical brands, you know, I love stuff from, from Ben Nye and Creolan and all those brands because I like mixing the cream colors together. And, and also slightly trickier skin colors because often commercial foundations are not great for yeah. in between like say Southeast Asian skin colors that you need something kind of more greenish or olive certain t- t- colors that in a theater used to be called like a Chinese color that you can find from Ben Nye or you can find from these brands because there've always been people in theater and film who need to be addressed with their proper, their real skin tone. So those things are always there and luckily they're constant. They don't tend to get discontinued as much because they're serving a different part of the industry. So my kit is quite small, lots of mix and match things, occasional pencils you hang on to. L'Oreal did an amazing, L'Oreal Paris, actual Paris, um, did an amazing thick Kajal pencil, which they discontinued. I, I think I scored six at Monoprix a few years ago in Paris, and they're all gone now. And that just, I don't know, that's just so weird. There's nothing as good as that. So there's a, there's a few things. Okay. But 
I'm going to ask you one thing in your kit I need to know, because I feel like you always do the most beautiful, dewy cheek. Uh-huh. Beautiful. What do you use on cheeks? The, the, the top secret Yeah. beautiful, dewy cheek is yeah. not powder. A cream blush. No, not powder. Just not powder. Because what happens if you don't powder skin is it shines. That's it. <laughs> That's the insider tip. <laughs> That's the insider tip. I did oh, a but thing you must with... have a favorite cream blush or something. It's a lipstick or is it something? I mean, I have a couple of things I've made myself. And I have versions of things left over from Shiseido. But for the most part, it's a lipstick or it's something for the Makeup Forever Flash color palette. Or it's a okay. Ben Nye. I also, you know, I don't love a, I don't like to carry around a ton of packaging. Sometimes you can find a beautiful item, as you know, when it comes in, you know, it's a Frisbee with this much product yeah. in the middle. Of it, yeah. You know, so the Frisbee size thing has a quarter size piece of product in it. So I don't touch ton, tons of packaging. I like things to be smaller and more portable, compactable. Lipsticks are great for cheeks. But um, I did a thing for Porter magazine quite a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And we photographed Bella Hadid on the beach. And it really was, you know, even by my standards, it was a quick makeup. It was three or four minutes quick makeup. And it was hilarious that the, the response, of course, it's the beauty. You know, she's an amazing looking girl. And people were like, what's the highlight? There's no highlight. She has sunscreen on and a little bit of cover up on a couple of little marks and stuff. But otherwise, she's in the daytime and the sun is hitting her and she has a highlight. She has a shine. I don't put pearl in the highlights. I very rarely use anything with a, an actual shimmering yeah, you don't use shimmer. Yeah. Not so much. I mean, it shows up occasionally in some products that I like the feel slip off, but I'll dilute them. I love it. You know, I love eight-hour cream. I love Aquaphor. I love Biopel, the Spanish one from the pharmacy. A little bit of grease will give you a highlight. Most of, most of the effective highlighting thing, if you want to get a little bit technical about it, is contrast. The thing where people trip themselves up with the highlights is if everything's shiny, it's really hard to find a highlight. So to make the highlight work, you you mattify something else. So it's a, question, it's a question of contrast and reduction rather than addition. Reduction okay. versus addition. Which is, that's a little bit of math for your makeup heads out there. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's going to send people in. That's gonna, let's leave them on a deep thought. Mm-hmm. And let's close. <laughs> oh, with, I, we, have, we have a quick five, it's like five questions and just like your quick responses. Let's close oh, on the fat mascara five. Okay. Okay. Yes. You, I do kind of have a slight headache from the math reduction thing. So it's, a, it's, a, it's like, <laughs> wait, what, wait, can I powder my nose and then do a, and then do like a, a little balmy highlight? Yeah, of course. Or is that? Absolutely. A, no, okay. that's the thing. So if you, so say you, you powder the T-zone, you powder the forehead, nose, size yeah. of the nose a little bit and the chin, like we do for runway for the most part. If you want yeah. a beautiful glowing skin for runway, what you don't want is a highlight headlight right between the eyes of the skin shining there or the chin sure. or necessarily the tip of the nose. So you powder out that stuff and then your cheek is glowing and gorgeous and you have that kind of sheen happening. And that's the Dick Page look. That's what I'm saying. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's why I wanted you on. That yeah, basically that's it. <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's no secret. It's the same. I've been, yes. <laughs> Doing the it's same so makeup for 30 years. Kind of. <laughs> so Basically, good. get you know if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Get away with murder. I mean, that's why people they, they keep calling you back. They keep calling you back. I mean, but you do you you deliver every time. It's so good. Okay, Thank you. ready? Okay. What's yes. what music do you like to play on set? If you're I a don't. control, I don't. You don't I like music. Know. No. Um, oh, I, I will. I push a little bit of a music on set if I'm lose. If my ears are bleeding from whatever else is being played, I'll like I'll sometimes try and stage a subtle intervention. But for the most part, yeah. I like, I mean, it's nice if you can create an atmosphere. I did a job with Jürgen Tully years ago with Björk, and I played for self, I think self-service magazine. And I played the soundtrack to Vertigo by Bernard Herrmann. Okay. 
And she really got into it. And it really helped. I mean, it, and she said afterwards, like, thanks for DJing. It really made this feeling for the picture. This is like the strangeness of this soundtrack. So sometimes you want to do something that works with the picture. Obviously, the model wants to dance. You need to find out what she needs to listen to. When I'm working, I would rather be quiet. But that's kind of an unpopular opinion. Most people would rather have some music backstage. I'd rather not. But okay. on set, pretty much what you need is what your subject needs. So whoever's performing for the camera, and it is a performance, they should get to play what they want. Oh, aren't I, I generous? That. So generous. Yeah, that is very generous. <laughs> I'm such a kind person. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. What's, what's your favorite generous beauty? You're a generous beauty, Dick. <laughs> I am a generous beauty. <laughs> what's your favorite fashion show you've ever done? Oh, wow. It might be one of the Helmut Lang shows in Paris. We did one that was, I thought it looked great because, you know, Helmut liked to mix the cabine of men and women together and we knew most of the models and they've changed four or five times, unlike now when models tend to have one look. And we were shooting, we were showing, sorry, in some market in Paris that was not heated and everyone had Mylar blankets. It was freezing. And Guido did the hair and I made the nails. I wanted to have matte white nail polish, but it didn't exist. So I used that whiteout stuff that you used to use when you were for typists, mm-hmm. you know, which is probably completely toxic and... And because it was so cold, there was like an extra kind of slightly hysterical love of energy. And the models, even though ordinarily fast for a helmet show, they were practically running. And it just had this kind of amazing energy. The clothes were beautiful. Everyone looked great. I just think it was one of those ones where it just kind of came together and everything looked great. Do you remember what, around what year that was? That Let's was look it up. probably 96, 96, 97, something like that. Girl, oh. I remember Guido did this kind of like, we sort of destroyed Madame French pleat things and stuck feathers in the hair. And it was very beautiful. Okay, what is the worst question you've ever been asked in an interview? And you can't mention this one. <laughs> the worst question. There are so many worst, bad I mean, there's always one coming along that's worse than the one before. The worst question is not strictly a question, but it's a word where people say, what should a woman something something fill in the blanks what mm. should you know it, which is on you know it's on a level with the when the magazine says do's and don'ts all the i hate the shoulds all the should questions i really hate i think i find them very reductive and, and demeaning to everyone involved so the should questions and the other actually you know what the one that probably takes the cake is when people say what's the what's the biggest mistake that women make with makeup you know when people ask that question oh yeah you know, have you, have you asked that I've question i probably asked that of you over the past I, years. Yeah. <laughs> but, but what's the biggest mistake? Because it's also the word mistake sounds so dire. And you think, how bad could it be? You could wash your face. It's just kind of been like a habit. Like, what's the biggest concealer mistake or blush yes. mistakes? Yes. I don't think people think too deeply about it, but I think we need to re-examine and retrain ourselves. Because, yeah, it's really reductive and stupid and n- n- nasty. I actually think people do need to think more deeply about it because, I mean, surely the, the onus is on whoever's talking about beauty. The pro- I don't know, probably you also, probably also understand this and experience of this, is that people talk about beauty in the way that they used to talk about food writing or cookery. Yeah. But people used to didn't take it seriously. So people, like, there was a, we watched that Julia show about Julia Child, we just saw the first mm-hmm. episode. And she gets very short shrift in the public television station because, you know, beauty, you know, cookery is a woman's subject. We can't believe we're talking to someone who wrote a cookery book. So, you know, sexist, diminishing, demeaning, insulting, plain yeah. rude. Same with beauty. So people, you know, I got, I've been interviewed by people who I can tell I'm halfway through talking to it. They don't 
really give... Can we swear on your podcast? Yeah, totally. They don't really give a flying fuck what you think because they, you know, as far as they're concerned, they're a real writer and they're just jobbing doing this. And I think, well, listen, if, if someone, MFK Fisher, was a brilliant writer by any stripe, happened to write about food as well as her family and her life in California and in Paris, give it some credit. Ask some interesting questions. Think about your subject. Think about the idea of beauty. It's great writing about beauty from very many people, and Zadie Smith among others. So... These are not short questions, are they, anymore? Sorry, this is not no, such book far around. No, no, no. And I don't, I don't mean to say it doesn't matter, but I'm thinking people don't when they're... It deserves attention, but I don't think that it comes from a nasty place. But I think they're just kind of lazy and conditioned. And I'm, I'm, putting, I'm putting myself in this camp because I know that I've sent those questions off to you. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I yes, don't think have. I thought, like, these women are making, you know... No. You know Terrible mistakes. But yeah, like we need to re-examine it. And I've also been completely underestimated by people in my life because I write beauty. And yeah, I, I, right. it's all part of the same soup. Yeah. So yeah, just that, like d- diminishing the idea of something that's so central to what we do, you know, or to who we are rather, because this is, you know, I'm, I'm, for, the, <laughs> for the gentle listener, I'm waving my hands around my face. Um, <laughs> this is what we are. We are faces. Yeah. But you know, we're touchable and we express, and there's so much going on. Great tragedy of the last few years, apart from the yeah. obvious tragedy of death and loss, is we've lost half our faces. We've lost half our ways of expression. So beauty is a thing that to not be grave about, but to at least take seriously to understand that it means a lot of people, how they present themselves to the world. Absolutely. You mentioned Julia Child. You mentioned food and cooking. You cook a ton. It's a huge passion of yours. What is your favorite comfort food recipe? It's probably some version of what I have for breakfast. It was leftover. I had greens and beans, and I poached an egg in it and put some cumin and salt on top. And um, for some reason, there's something about a pot of cooked greens that is, I find you know, very comforting. There's also things like a you know, big chunk of, of bread and butter to dip in it. Like it's sort of like it's, it's not quite a soup. It's not really a stew. It's just well-seasoned cooked greens. Nice. And then last... In the movie of your life, who would do the voiceover? Who would narrate? Oh, Glenda Jackson, please. <laughs> that was so, you were so at the ready. Well, she's it's my favorite voice in the history of voices. And I have a bunch of her records of like her, I mean, as, a, as an actress on stage and, you know, in, in film as well. But like, I have a bunch of her recordings of her reading Emily Dickinson poems. I love her voice. I love the timbre of the voice, the sound of it. She, get on with it because, you know, she's no spring chicken. So, um, <laughs> no, she, she came back to play King Lear when she was 82. So, Glenda Jackson for the win, always. Excellent. Dick, thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed the show. It's your reviews and feedback that help us make the podcast even better. Head over to iTunes to rate and review us or email your thoughts to info at fatmascara.com. We also want to answer your beauty questions and hear what products you love. To share a Razor One product review or to ask a beauty question, email us at info at Fat Mascara. If you send it as a voice memo file, we can even share your voice on the podcast. You can also do that by leaving us a voice message. Our phone number in the United States is 646-481-8182. Thanks so much for listening. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. 
Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.